Transformation, an expression of the heart through voice, the heart opening to love, channeling of intention, Kyotan community, yoga culture, bhakti, ancient traditions, modern environment, intentional community. Continuation of story, the ever-evolving mythology, reconnecting with the divine through voice, through song, through mantra, an exploration of chanting. Join us every Thursday at 4 p.m. on CATR 101.9 FM for mantra, or check us out on the web at mantraradio.co.
Welcome to the Arts Report for November 12th, 2014. Tonight on the show, Catherine Brodsky from Mitch and Murray Theatre Company will tell us about the new David Mamet play, Speed the Plow, opening tomorrow. The lovely Christine Kim is here to tell us about the Battered Bride Opera, and I will do a little Remembrance Day homage, so stay tuned. Thanks for listening. I'm your host for tonight, Sarah Lapsley. This is my penultimate show. Do you know what that means? It means the second to last. So I'm feeling a bit sad already. Um, But I wanted to jump right into it with Catherine um, to talk to her about the David Mamet play, but I am struggling to reach her. Uh, So I think what I'm going to do is play a song while we try to get her on the phone. And I'll explain in a while why I am playing this song. Um, I'm going to be talking about an event that I'm really excited about. And sort of this song relates in a way. So plus it's an awesome song. So plus I'm sick. And the only reason I'm sitting up straight in the booth here is because I had an espresso from Blue Chip Cookies downstairs, which all UBC students know is totally awesome. And they're having like kind of a flea market thing downstairs with lots of cool stuff. So if you're on campus, come check it out. So, okay, I'm playing this song, Guided by Voices, I Am a Tree. Hopefully we'll be back with Catherine. Um, And then Christine will be here. Okay, here we go.
Hi, you're listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. That was Guided by Voices, I Am a Tree. So I'll be talking a bit about that song more later. But I'm here with Catherine. Hello, Catherine. Hold on. Catherine? Hi, I'm here. Hi, good. So thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So you're here to tell us about Speed the Plow. I am. It's uh, an amazing David Mamet play that's being produced by Mitch and Murray Productions. And it's actually premiering tomorrow night. So tell me, well, tell me a little bit about Mitch and Murray Productions. It sounds like you've done quite a few things in yeah, recent years. Yeah, we've been working for, for uh, I've been working with Mitch and Murray for a while. And it's a theater company. It's got nine Jesse um, Award nominations, which are the theater kind of like the theater, the, the local equivalent of a Tony Award, basically. And one of the things that they focus on is really doing premieres um, of really cutting-edge plays and Vancouver premieres of plays by people like Dave, um, David Mamet, obviously. And they've been doing and also bringing uh, a combination of uh, theater that's really edgy and contemporary and story-driven and character-driven and things that really challenge the audience, but also having, um, looking, doing it beyond sort of the traditional theater experience so that instead of just sort of going to a show and having this passive experience, the audience gets an immersive experience where they get to engage through special events and contests and um, social initiatives and you get to enjoy a glass of wine with your performance so it's pretty fun um, and a different kind of experience. Wow so yeah I think one of our reporters went to see Becky Shaw a while ago and really liked it and talked about it. I saw that one too and I really loved it too and that was a Pulitzer nominated play and a lot of the plays that uh, Mitch and Murray brings to life are you know word-winning plays and really challenging work and sometimes controversial. Mm-hmm. So Speed the Plow, I actually thought it was like a new play, but it's not. It's It was written 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah, well, if you recall, um, Jeremy Piven was actually in the Broadway version of the play at one point, and he had the mercury poisoning. So, of course, the play made a lot of headlines then. Sorry, he had mercury um, poisoning? He, had, he claimed to have mercury poisoning, which is why he withdrew from the show on Broadway. Oh. Yeah, and right now um, Lindsay Lohan is is apparently in that play in the West End, but this is the Vancouver premiere of the play. (laughs) Hopefully no money. And nobody's going to bail out. (laughs) And there's no Lindsay Lohan. (laughs) Right, yeah. Well, so the Lissota tagline here says, showbiz, sex, greed, passion. So Exactly. That sounds really good. It's de- it does sound really good. It's set in the underbelly of Hollywood, basically. And as we know, things don't always go smoothly and, and uh, nobly in Hollywood. So the story is basically um, there's two, two people. There's a bankable star that agrees to appear in a, in a, in a film that's definitely going to be a huge hit blockbuster. Couldn't be any better. And he brings this project, it's the project of a lifetime, he brings it to a studio executive who at first um, is is on the way to the bank and he wants to do this film. But there's a slight detour when um, a temp or a secretary, she decides to sort of derail the dream and she persuades him to dump the, you know, sure-fired hit 
and instead adapt um, something that can only be described as box office poison. So it's, it's basically a battle of wits and sex, and it's got everything in it, and, and really talks about commerce versus art, and Hollywood versus you know, independent film, and it's definitely a subject matter that's very relatable and told with a fiery kind of attitude. Hmm. So you mentioned sort of when you were talking about the theater company that there's sort of ways of engaging the audience that are unique or immersive. So is there anything in this production that's like that other than the free wine, which is sounds awesome? <laughs> well, um, I, I think uh, what they what is special about this production and every kind of Mitch and Murray production, every production is absolutely different. And I know, for example, the staging for Backy Shaw, the previous production that Mitch and Murray did, they had, um, you know, just the way that the audience was set up, it felt immersive because the room wasn't, it wasn't like you had this traditional stage area, but you were actually um, in a round kind of room and the audience was spread out all over and the set was spread out all over. So it wasn't, it's, it's unconventional staging that made you feel like you were part of the show and the music made you feel like you were part of a show in, in a very kind of unusual way. I haven't seen, uh, since it's opening tomorrow, I haven't seen exactly what they did quite yet, but um, I'm sure it would be in the same vein in terms of the staging and, and how that experience is like. Well, I guess we'll find out because we should all definitely go. Um, and as you said, the opening night's tomorrow, and I'll give the event details. But you, you kind of talked about how um, the company chooses productions that are kind of well-known plays mm -hmm. um, because, well, of often they're really amazing scripts um, and then gives people an opportunity to really, you know, immerse themselves in, in performing. So what about this script kind of why was it chosen versus other um, well-known scripts? Well, I think one of the things that Mitch and Murray does is really try to bring plays that haven't been done before in Vancouver. They seem to really favor David Mamet. <laughs> so that's a big part of, I, I think, that all the creative people involved in the, in, in the company are big fans of David Mamet's work. And this particular play, Speed the Plow, has not been done in Vancouver before. So that's part of the appeal. And it's also controversial. And we also live in a time where that fine line between com commerce and you know making a profit on art versus making art is something that we're constantly examining and talking about. And if you look at the movie lineup these days uh, at the box office, you know, you have so many remakes and comedies and, and not as much original work. And, mm -hmm. and, and so that's a subject matter that's also, I think, very dear <laughs> to anybody who's an artist right now, and especially in Vancouver. Well, excellent. I was just reading today about David Mamet. I, I don't know much about him, but he he met his second wife um, when the sort of first production of Speed the Plow happened. She was an actress, or he cast her. I don't know which came first, but um, that's how he hooked up with her, and then and then they've been married ever since. It's the early 90s. So. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. Wikipedia. David Mamet, of course, is like a... Um, is a challenge for actors. It's, it's, he's a playwright that actors both love and hate <laughs> because of the 
the speed with which the dialogue has to be delivered and the accuracy and, and everything. So when it works it's, and it's at the right speed and at the right attitude and everything, and it really works, but it's, it's a challenging work that he produces. Yeah, I was just actually seeing here, he did the 2013 HBO film Phil Spector. Um, yeah. He wrote that. I didn't realize that with Al Pacino as Phil Spector. Yeah, he did. So he's he's definitely done a lot of film work as well, uh, in addition to theater. He's definitely one of those names, if you're going to name playwrights, he, he's one of the, in the top of the, in the top five or top three of the of names that people are going to know right away. Yeah. So any of the actors that stand out to you that are going to be in the production? Well, um, it's a three-person production, so I think they are all going to stand <laughs> out. But um, it's uh, it's directed with by David McKay, who also did um, Becky Shaw, that your colleague has seen, and, um, and Aaron Craven. Um, he plays Charlie Fox, and he's uh, also one of the... Um, of the producers at Mitch and Murray, and Craig Erickson and Kyla Bjorkson. Hopefully I'm pronouncing her, her name right. She plays Karen, who is this um, character and savory secretary who changes the producer's mind and decides, convinces him to make art. Hmm. Uh, I would qu- quote unquote art. <laughs> wow. I'm really interested in seeing it because I bet there's different layers, you know, sort of the the – the on the surface story, but different things unfolding under the surface as well. Absolutely, should... I've I've read the play a, a few times, and I've seen I've seen bits of it. I've never seen it on Broadway, but um, but it's definitely a really interesting play. And and beyond the drama, and it, it's also really funny, <laughs> which always helps. Yes, for sure. Well, thanks. So the event details are that it's being held at Studio Sixteen. Um, which is 1555 West 7th Avenue. It opens tomorrow, November 13th, and runs until the 29th. Um, And so tickets are $28 for Friday and Saturday and $23 Wednesday and Thursday. Um, And so there's some different discounts for certain nights and student tickets and so on. And you can check out the details at mitchandmurrayproductions.com. So thank you so much. Catherine, for for coming on the show. I hope everyone sees some great theater. I will, definitely. Thank you. So we'll be in touch. Excellent. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, we're going to go to some public service announcements, and we'll be back on the Arts Report with Christine Kim in a minute. We guarantee that you will be able to make a balloon poodle within the first day. Here at the UBC Ant Club, we just like to talk about ants and compare ant farms. Uh, It's really cool. Paperclip Club is all about, well, paperclips mostly. At Blah Club, you can blah blah, blah 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 blah. Explosions. There's only one club worth joining at UBC, and that's CITR 101.9 FM. We got free tickets to shows, whirly pops, professional help in all types of audio engineering, passes to festivals, crazy parties, live band swag, all types of crazy people. Our programming manager rides a motorcycle. There's freestyle rapping, Nardwar, the human serviette, the vinyl and record libraries, Discorder magazine, free studio recording, and it sure beats the hell out of Paperclip Club, which is a thing that I just made up because I work at CITR. So come check us out on the top floor of the Student Union Building. we got all types of crazy shit for you to do. Or check us out online at www.citr.ca.
Are you not sure where to go on campus? Traveling late at night and afraid to go alone? Call SafeWalk, a free service where a co-ed team will take you anywhere you need to go on campus. Don't walk alone. For a walk, add SafeWalk to your phone. Call 604-822-5355. That's 604-822-5355. Alternatively, use a UBC Blue phone and ask for SafeWalk. Approach any SafeWalk team or drop by our office on the main floor of the sub across from the gallery lounge. Because you're mine, I walk the line. Hi, we're back on the Arts Report. I'm here with Christine. Hi. Yay. So Christine is here to tell us about the battered bride. Bartered. Bartered. I was thinking the battered bride, that's slightly uh, provocative title, but woo. Well, bartered bride might not be that great either. Yes. should be an act of mutual free will. I don't know. What's it about? <laughs> I don't know what um, I'm talking about. You're very close. Um, so it's a Czech opera and um it was written in the 1800s so as you might understand there obviously are some i guess predispositions about women and men um the setting of the play is in a bohemian village and um the village are the villagers are celebrating a festive occasion and there's these two lovebirds um marenka and jenik who don't join in on the festive occasion, um, but are rather sulking. And Marenka's, and this is because Marenka's parents have arranged a marriage for her with the son of Tobias. I know these are a lot of names, but <laughs> um, so that causes the two lovers, Marenka and Jenka, to be in much distress. And so the entire story is really about how their true love prevails over the combined efforts of their ambitious parents and the scheming marriage broker. Um, so I think um, a lot of this storyline is still going to be replicated in tomorrow's show um, of the UBC Opera's rendition of The Bartered Bribe. Um, and so obviously, like these ideas of about a marriage broker kind of very um 18th very um 19th century mm-hmm. but um it's a very famous opera and um yeah and um it's actually funny because the Czech composer of it Bedrick Smet- Smetana um he when he first composed it um in 1866 it was only a two-act play and it didn't get too much success um originally but the following four years after the first um first rendition of it um he revised it and he extended it to be three acts and um there were a lot of edits made to it and on its premiere just um four years later in 1870 it gained so much popularity with the public and eventually became this huge worldwide success and here we are today still (laughs) Still talking about it yeah check music i don't know too much about it but it has a bit of a different flavor Mm -hmm. like it has a bit more well, the only I only know one Czech composer, Bella Bartok, but he uses a lot of kind of folk, like Czechoslovakian folk themes, you know. But uh, so I don't know if it's the same in terms of having a bit of a different flavor than your kind of standard British or 
French kind of opera. Yeah, actually, it's funny because I definitely thought the same way. And when I was reading a UBC article about The Bartered Bride that's going to be premiering tomorrow and then going on until the 15th of November, um, the singers are so accustomed to um, apparently the singers um, – that are going to be performing tomorrow. We're very accustomed to French, Italian, and German operas. And just being able to change their style and their tone to follow more of a Czech opera style was apparently very challenging. And learning the pronunciation of like an entirely new language from Czech vocal co- from Czech vocal co- coaches meant that they had to put in a lot more time trying to like get down the language and um, make sure that the opera is still a really high quality and make sure that um, the authenticity of the um, opera is still intact. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, the director of The Bartered Bribe actually is Nancy Hermiston, and she's the UBC music professor and director of the UBC Opera Ensemble. And um, she said to the UBC, quote, it's great fun. Marenka is a really independent girl, really the modern Czech woman, very strong, very independent. So I think that quote just kind of shows that, you know, this was written in uh, the 1800s, but clearly the protagonist of the story is um, is very modern mm-hmm. and very progressive. Yeah, although there's sort of, I guess, that, that, that character, right, that's sort of timeless of the spirited female, right? But... Um, yeah, that's amazing they're doing it in Czech. I was going to ask that. That's right. extremely ambitious. And like you said, like, because the open vowels and the French and, well, yeah, just opera singers are trained to sing French, German, Spanish, even to a lesser extent. And then Czech probably has quite different sounds, uh, consonant sounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was actually thinking, you know, this since this is one of um i haven't watched too many operas before but um i know from experience that because operas are often sung in english as other than english um i usually like look up the plot summary beforehand but apparently although the opera is going to be sung in czech they're going to have english subtitles you know there to help the audience Mm -hmm. um follow along and the singers um for the production tomorrow um they've all been double casted so for one character like marenka it's going to be performed by um ubc student allison hop and laura miller and then for like another character jenik it's going to be performed by tony caruso and ubc alumnus matt chitik so i think every single night that the um the kind of i guess production is shown it's going to be different because it's going to be sung by different people and um because of that also, I feel like, I mean, going to watch it like a couple times won't be a bad idea because mm-hmm. I feel like it's going to be a different show, mm-hmm. especially because, you know, this is a Czech opera and they might have like some kind of unique twist mm-hmm. to it that I feel like will definitely be worth mm-hmm. going, getting wow, the time. I'm to excited to hear how it is, but mm-hmm. it has a very short run, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I was very surprised. But yeah, the, sh- the run is from November 13th to the 15th um, at 7.30 p.m. Um, at the Old Auditorium, which is really near the Kerner Library. Um, and the cost, it's $15 for UBC students, wow. which is absolutely great. But if you are a non-UBC student, uh, if you're a non-UBC student, you would have to pay $20. Um, 
And I guess like my biggest, I guess, suggestion for people or students who are thinking of coming to watch the play uh, would probably be to do a little bit of research of the plot beforehand so you can really just enjoy the musicality and um, yeah, the music within the play Mm -hmm. Um, instead of trying to figure out, you know, what's going on because it won't be as easy to follow along I think Mm -hmm. um, as like a regular play so have you ever seen an opera before with the subtitles Um, I've definitely seen what was it no it's not coming to me Um, no I I've seen a play with uh, subtitles before however at the time I was only like 12 so I don't think I was really even paying attention to the (laughs) subtitles I think I was more fascinated with um the like vocal ability of some of these singers to be able to belt out the notes that they mm-hmm. do in um for that long amount of time so i mean going back to seeing another opera show it's going to be really mm-hmm. different i mean you need the subtitles i mean most operas i don't i don't think i've ever been to one that don't have them but you you do have to read them right your eyes constantly mm-hmm. usually have them above constantly drawn um but then without it, you can't, it's impossible to kind of get what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if it's sung in English, like the opera, the way they sing it, you can't understand it. So, you know, it's almost better to have it in a different language yeah, r- no. rather than trying to struggle to understand the English. That's so true. And I feel like, you know, with an opera, it's not going to be too much about... Um what you're saying but rather you know your facial expression what you're doing and like how the the performer is um you know moving about on stage Mm -hmm. and like the musicality of the instrumentals um the conductor for this play is Norbert Baxa and he's the founder and director of the European Music Academy so I am like that's probably one of the most important things that I'm like looking forward to like going in to go watch the opera tomorrow it's definitely going to be the the live um instrumentals Mm -hmm. the the live music is it's just such a treat yeah to hear it and the old memorial hall is gorgeous I was there I don't know, last year, maybe a year ago, and it was just like, wow. So you'll enjoy that as well. So do you want to just give us the event details again? Mm -hmm. So the uh, performance will be from November 13th to the 15th at 7.30 p.m. um, in the old auditorium, which is near the Kerner Library. There's actually going to be um, an extra matinee of the opera performance at 2 p.m., and then for the costs, one more time, is um, $15 for UBC students. And for non-UBC students, it's $20. You can get your tickets um, at the Chan Center or at the uh, Freddie Wood um, Auditorium. Excellent. So as you know, I'm leaving at the end of November. What are you, how are you going to stay involved? Oh, I'm definitely going to stay involved. I mean, um, there's, so, there's such a big lineup for UBC theater and opera still left to do. So Mm -hmm. I'd probably um, definitely come on the show with a different host, I guess. Mm -hmm. This is going to be weird because I've done all of my um, previews and reviews with you and, you know, discussing with, I guess, another uh, arts report host is definitely going to be interesting. Yeah, well, and we'll see who ends up um, coming on board. We've put like um, a job description up for somebody who might want to apply and take over. Mm -hmm. It's an excellent opportunity. Um, to develop connections in the art scene. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I just have to 
do my thesis that has to go to the top of the list immediately. But I'm yeah. still going to do some coverage and stay involved at CITR because it's so much fun. But mm, yeah, that's good. That's yeah. good to know. And definitely, you know, we usually pass it along, like the different hosts and arts directors so yeah. stick stick with it for a while and then pass along to someone else and, and hopefully someone that can put lots of time into it. So mm-hmm. yeah, pass can, the torch to someone, yeah. someone deserving. Mm-hmm, <laughs> for sure. So yeah, that's great. Well, thanks. Uh, I'm going to talk about another event now. I'm really excited about this event and it's actually happening next Wednesday at 7 p.m. I won't be here. Rohit will be doing the show, um, but I'll be attending this event at the Dejavad Moa Fagan, Fagan, I don't know how to say that, World Art Center, Simon Fraser University. So that's the downtown Woodwards, 149 West Hastings Street. Now this is put on by the Music Appreciation Society and they do a lot of really great events, um, usually involving a panel, sort of an expert panel, talking about really cool concepts in music. And sort of their signature event was they had two groups of uh, all-girl debating teams from high school. Were you ever in the debating team in high school? Yes, I was, but we were never invited to a music appreciation well, event. So they, it was look, kind of like a performance art thing. So yeah, I think the girls were really game. So two high school debating teams pitted against each other and they had to argue who's better, the Beatles or the Stones. <laughs> and I can't remember what was decided um, or who kind of won the debate, but that was one thing they did. And the one that they're doing now is called for a long 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 time um the music appreciation society presents drones so please join us for an evening of listening and discussion about drones in music um so so what is a drone do you know christine I'm thinking of the military weapon of drones. Right. Um, so that's so one. I'm not sure if that's correct. So well in music, right? It is I guess some kind of automated missile thing i don't know um but in music a drone is a minimalist musical style that emphasizes the use of sustained or repeated sounds so it's usually like one note that's held throughout a song um and so it's actually most used i think in like um well the bagpipe is often used as a drone it just goes like a tuning fork kind of thing sound yeah, or uh, or different kinds of South Indian classical music. So they'll have a melody, but the drone going on holding, and it's at times it just like as the moving music kind of goes over the drone, it creates a lot of of beauty. Um, but but it's actually so it's been used like in classical sort of Indian music and world music, uh, often in the late medieval sort of church music of Europe. Um, then used at times, I guess, on some classical music, but not so much in rock music. Um, and I was talking with my friend Graham, who sent, he tried to look for some drone music, um, but he sent dirge, a dirge instead. Um, but that's why I played the Guided by Voices song, because um, they use what I thought was a drone. Hmm. So they have the chord changes, but then this G, the guitar just hangs on this G pretty much the whole... It's like ding, 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 ding. And it, it just, wow. It's just like, it's electrifying. Um, so I'm looking forward to attending this event because I'm sure they'll give more examples. So what they say here is, um, they're so clever, the Music Appreciation Society. 
It says, uh, produced by The Voice, sitars, bagpipes, hurdy-gurdies, zithers, or all manner of modern acoustic, electronic, and computer-based instruments, drones have long been a component of human musical practices and are often imbued with a sense of spiritual or cosmological value. A drone can provide a foundation, a horizon, or a dislocating and boundaryless fog, provoke feelings of expansive awareness, intense inwardness, or total self-disconnection, and arouse beatific reverie, focused alertness, or utter boredom and even anger. I guess if it went on long enough, it could make you angry. A drone could be kind of torturous, I suppose. Beyond music, drones also offer a curious analog to the vibrating materiality of the universe, the structure of which is defined by a complex interplay of forever undulating patterns of energy. That's really cool. What a great description. I know. Like I said, they're very brilliant, the Music Appreciation Society. So the panel um, looks like some really great local uh, contemporary musicians. So Ellie Bornowski, Andrea Lukic from the project New Sensei, Giorgio Magneshi from Vancouver New Music, Harkirat Mangat, Jeremy Schmidt from Sinoa Caves, so he's well-known also in Black Mountain. Joshua Stevenson, uh, name sounds familiar. I'm, a face is coming to, to my head. I think he's like part of that Destroyer crowd. Um, Magneteers, he's in some projects. Otic Sound, Cast Exotic Archives. So there'll be smart people who know about drones. Um, so I thought I'd play a song. Also happens to be a hit, but I'm allowed to play a little bit of hit action because um, I'm leaving the show and I'm allowed to play 10% hits. Now, this is sort of a modified drone, and you really hear at the beginning, once the main and perhaps one of the most famous kind of introduction sequences to a rock song, I would say, Um but uh, you hear it more at the introduction, although I think it comes in towards the end of the song. So it's sort of a drone overall, but the, the drone moves around a little bit. Um, but it's The Who, Baba O'Reilly. I think it's definitely a hit, but enjoy the drone.
listening to Arts Report. Thanks for letting me play The Who because I wanted to illustrate a little bit of a drone there that I guess it's a keyboard kind of up and down. So definitely check out um, the Music Appreciation Society event. Oh, I closed it down. Um, but it's next Wednesday the 19th. Um, and so at the SFU um Woodward's downtown and I'll, I'll pull that up in a few minutes um, but I guess I wanted to talk about Remembrance Day for a little bit because I have a few minutes so yesterday um, I went on my annual trek up to UBC to the War Memorial Hall to the Remembrance Day service so I always go with Matt from the Australian Canadian Music Show and it's um, so yeah it's always a nice service and yesterday was no different um, and so had some politicians, Joyce Murray, Mr. David Eby, who's great, and he actually is involved at COTR. Sometimes he rents stuff here for his events, and I met him once uh, when he came in. Wonderful guy. Um, and just like the chancellor of UBC and different UBC kind of bigwigs um, give talks, and people lay wreaths, different organizations, and they play taps, and there's like troops there in our, the UBC RCMP, so it's quite uh, sobering, and it's a really beautiful um, ceremony. And a, a professor, or Dr. Linda Quinney, 
from the nursing school, the School of Nursing, gave a really interesting kind of talk about uh, women in World War One because it's the hundredth year anniversary of. No, not the hundredth year, is it? Oh God, I guess it is a hundredth year anniversary of the Great War, World War One, and she talked about the role of women in the the First World War and and how they did nursing, and it was sort of like this unprecedented medical crisis as they had these new automated weapons and mustard gas. And, and so that was, that was really interesting. Um, they had a chorus of young men. They were pretty nerdy, um, but they sang, uh, you know, like Andy from The Office sings in a kind of like a, a male, like acapella choir. So, but uh, I say they're nerdy, but I mean in a totally good way. They were excellent singers and confident and fun. And they sang um, like First World War tunes, like it's a long way to Tipperary. Um, but you can't help be moved by when you see the really old guys. And one guy stood up. He was 100. And so we all clapped. And uh, definitely when you see the old guys, it, uh, it, it makes you feel a bit tearful. Um, and there was a moment of levity when Professor Nancy Hermiston, who we mentioned earlier because she does the um, opera um, and a professor of music here, she led the singing, but she made kind of an amusing gaffe, I guess, uh, talking about, you know, the, um, she was trying to say the selfless sacrifice of, you know, those who've gone to war, but instead she said the selfish sacrifice, and then she kind of laughed, but nobody else laughed. I think it was just because it wasn't like, it wasn't that we didn't find it funny, it was just we weren't in a laughing mood. But anyways, I think it's actually pretty amusing, and um, I'm surprised that doesn't happen more often. So, um, what else? Yeah, and there's always a toddler that takes it upon themselves to, like, kind of make noise during the two minutes of silence. So that's, what can you do, right? But anyways, um, so, but I have some friends. And so I talked about the old guys kind of making me sad, but actually have some friends my own age who have served time in Afghanistan. That's part of what my thesis is about. And I wanted to share a little bit of a blog that a friend of mine wrote about his tour af of Afghanistan. And I've heard a bit of his story, um, but this is the first time he's really told it in full. And so I'm just going to read a, a sort of selection. Um, Actually, maybe this is this was written by someone else, but published in the Tai. So it says, all soldiers must die in order to live. It's the way the military functions. Fear is a distraction, and distractions lead to death. So as retired signals operator Tim Garthside explains, you just have to accept that you're already dead. It seems harsh, but if you're worried about dying, then you're going to die. The problem is, once you liz live as if you are already dead, it's hard to change back and hard to relate to anyone who hasn't crossed that grimly pragmatic divide. Tim recalls a ride in an SUV headed for Kandahar Airfield. He and his fellow soldiers were escorting non-enlisted support staff who were heading back home. Tim saw the panicked look on the face of one. He looked like a ghost, Tim says. I remember laughing in my head like, what the F is your problem? Why are you so effing scared? Um, then I just started thinking about that a bit later. Like, why am I not scared? Maybe I should be scared. Um, but months later, when Tim re returned home, he realized um, that nobody who was there to greet him at the Toronto airport understood anything about where I'd been or what I'd done. So he isolated himself, gradually stopped speaking to his parents, siblings, and friends, spent the majority of his time alone. He said, I didn't experience anything except for my own suffering, and I spent a lot of time contemplating why I was still alive. 
what the point of me being here was with no real answers. So what happened is um, he was deployed in Afghanistan. He operated and maintained communication system. His location was a small camp in the middle of Kandahar with the provincial reconstruction team. Some days he patrolled with the military police, um, but mostly he worked in headquarters where the real traumatic things that really crushed me happened. He said, all my trauma came from sitting in an office chair with headphones on. He was the guy in charge of hearing all the signals going back and forth and letting everyone know what was going on. The headphones were Tim's prison. Um, so he was the voice troops relied on if they were in harm's way outside the wire. So on August 3rd, 2006, four Canadian soldiers were killed and 10 wounded when one bomb blew up a convoy and a second targeted the first responders. After the explosions, the troops began receiving enemy fire from a nearby compound. Tim was like on the communications line. There was nothing he could do. He couldn't help the injured and those who were dying while they were in the middle of a firefight. When you call for a medevac, you have to say, are, the, are the, the people that need help taking fire? And if they are taking fire, then you don't send the medevac. So I was the one telling the people dying that no one's coming. And they kept asking, is anyone coming? So that was sort of the, the traumatic event. And, and he goes on. But check that out in the Thai. So that's, this is a, you know, these are the kind of things that happen um, in war and you know, PTSD then is the result often. So, um, but interestingly, there's a, I'm tying in this in with art, the Vancouver Peace Choir, who's a wonderful choir, and I have a couple of friends in it. Um, they're singing to raise awareness of PTSD. They're going to be singing Brahms Requiem. I'm definitely going. On November 22nd and 23rd, the Vancouver Peace Choir and the Mood Disorders Association of BC present Ein Deutsches Requiem, a choral concert to raise awareness about post-traumatic stress disorder. Back-to-back -back performances will take place on Friday, November 22nd at the VVC Auditorium and Saturday, November 23rd at Highlands United Church in North Vancouver. Um, and also on the program is In Paradisium, a piece by Vancouver composer Chris Sivak, dedicated to his late father who fled the violence of the Hungarian Revolution of 1956. Um, so the money is going to, oh, and it says, yeah, so he talks about in Paradisium, uh, interesting um, sort of the, the music is sort of about war a little bit. But in contrast, Brahms' Requiem eschews the text of the traditional Latin mass for German with a message of peace and comfort for the living. This massive seven-movement masterpiece was controversial for its humanist message and grand scale, sweeping fugues and emotion. So the Vancouver Peace Choir is going to perform this um, ooh, uh, with a Canadian piano duo of Deborah Grimmett and Iman Habibi, who performed at um, the... Um, Museum of Anthropology not too long ago, both international soloists. So it's going to be good. And check it out. At, you can find them on Facebook, Vancouver Peace Choir, and you can get tickets for either of these events at Brown Paper Tickets. And so the money's going to the Mood Disorders Association and to the cause of PTSD. So definitely check that out. Now, we're going to maybe play some Brahms and all ears is coming up in about five minutes. Um, and yeah, at the top of the show, I played bum instant Kool-Aid and bum is 
playing this weekend. So I'm looking forward to that. Some of us old timers might remember them from the early 90s when they had a really fantastic album, Wanna Smash Sensation. Um, so you know what? I'm going to sign off and in in a Remembrance Day ode, I'm going to play Brahms. Um, so this is Ein Deutsches Requiem. And so I'll see you on the 26th for my last show. So thanks for listening to CITR 101.9 FM.